Hello and welcome to another episode of The Passion Agenda. My name is Anthony Caruana. And on today's episode, I sat down with Michelle Ferriol. Michelle is an MBA candidate at Harvard Business School. And I was fortunate enough to, to grab some time with her uh, on a Saturday. This conversation was held over Zoom and it was great to, to have that conversation, especially seeing as Michelle's in, in the Philippines, whereas I'm in Melbourne, but the joys of technology. Uh, we, we spoke about a couple of things, uh, particularly around COVID and I guess what a post-COVID world looks like and how uh, the, the leaders will be uh, making those decisions with all the facts. We spoke about Michelle uh, particularly <laughs> and how she intends to utilize her MBA uh, post-completion which I found particularly interesting. She touched on a concept called the student passport, which is a must for, for all students, uh, and I guess anyone really, uh, that just wants to learn something new. So a must listen. As always, I know this is a conversation that you will enjoy. Perfect. Yeah, well, without further ado, Michi, thank you for, for joining me on the podcast today. Of course. So happy to be here. Um, this is super cool. Also, the fact we're doing Australia, Philippines right now. That's what I mean. I guess it's the power of technology and um, something that's definitely necessary right about now, uh, especially through, through what's happening in, in the world at the moment. How, how are you experiencing it? How are you seeing it in, in the Philippines? To be honest here, I feel very lucky. I'm around family. So most of the times the extra moments spent at home are just spent like playing Scrabble like we did last night until 4 a.m. Yeah, or learning Mahjong, which um, my grandma had always wanted to teach us and only really now got to learn. So um, it's, it's nice. It's like a time that I actually didn't know I would be able to spend with my parents and with my siblings in a long time because I haven't been home for this long since high school. Wow. So, 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 so how, how long has it been now? How, how many years? Oh gosh, um, I'm ancient now. So it's been nine years, almost 10, because I, I left the Philippines in 2011. So at that time, I can only imagine you've grown so much as a person. Coming back, do, you, do things look different? Do you perceive them different? Yeah, how, how, does, that, how does that all look? Definitely. First of all, Manila has just become so much more cosmopolitan and, and built out. Like, um, I remember certain places, for instance, around um, eateries and, and almost like play areas that my dad used to take us that are now like full on like shopping complexes. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's very yeah. different in that front. But then being home too, right? Because I, in high school, I couldn't really do much for myself. But now having lived overseas, like I can finally cook for myself. Like I, I do everything for myself and being back here again, where your mom wants to dote on you and do everything for you. <laughs> it's, it's different. You know, it's very different. So yeah, I'm, like, I'm liking it. I'm like, I'm loving yeah. just being home. So. Yeah. And I guess to the flip side to that, do you really appreciate the fact that you did that, that you, you went away from home uh, uh, when you did? And do you feel that you, were forced to become really independent as, as, as a person. Hugely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember cause it, it was a big move for me too. Cause I moved to the U S yeah. half a world away, essentially like literally on the other side of the world. And um, I had, I had relatives nearby technically, like my closest relative was in Jersey and I was in, in Boston. Um, so not too, too far, like a four or five hour car ride, but I was, you know, by all intents and purposes in terms of daily living alone, Right. And, and I was 18 and 
bright and bushy tailed and all of that. So um, it was huge. I remember feeling homesick like every every week and and calling mom almost every day actually in that in those first few months. Yeah. But, yeah, but looking back on it now, like I wouldn't have done it any other way because then I don't know. I, I don't feel like I would have gotten um, a realistic sense of how it would be like to just like be a, an adult much sooner, right? Like yeah. I would have kind of gotten so comfortable in this in this lifestyle of like being fed and being cared for um whereas I I really had to do everything like you know go to the doctor for yourself all of that which sounds silly now but Mm -hmm. as an 18 year old who's never lived overseas or away from your parents it's it's a big deal it's a difference it was a difference and how do you feel you acclimatized to that did you you know was it hard to to make friends to meet new people when you first arrived in the U.S. or was it easy uh, you know, I was really lucky. I think the fact that a ton of folks were coming in, um, and, and the class was very diverse. I think 10% of our classes, um, international. And then obviously within the, the 90% that were Americans, like people of all walks of life, all, all colors, all ethnicities. So I think people were all just wanting to get to know each other. And that was really great. Yeah. And I, I definitely like made friends, um, easily, I would say just because people were so welcoming, um, not anything of, of my own, like social skills at all, more just like, yeah. they, they noticed a shy, a shy Filipino girl in the corner and they went up to her. So, um, yeah, so that was really great. And, and learning about other people's kind of, um, different up, upbringings and, and different walks of life too was awesome. Like my roommate, my roommate's from Venezuela. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so she came She came over and lived in New York for um, most of her, her kind of teenage years, but um, her getting to know her and her story was awesome. Um, my other best friend is Canadian. Um, the other one is like American, but she's Sri Lankan in heritage. You know, like everyone's just from, from everywhere. So. And, and it's beautiful, isn't it? I think uh, especially with education and I guess coming together, you, you get to learn about different people and the way they approach things and the cultural aspect of it, of it as well. Were you shocked by the, the cultural difference in the US when you arrived or? <laughs> did you expect so, it? Yeah. I mean, finally, the thing I was shocked the most by was the big portions of food yeah. at, the, at the restaurants. Like, cause in the Philippines, like, you know, for, um one meal you would get like you know something substantial um but in the u.s it's like oh like tack on the fries tack on the mashed potatoes like and and that's i mean it's so, so silly looking back on it now but also pretty pretty cool i guess like coming in like realizing that oh man the world that i grew up in is so wildly different um and then things like saying how are you to somebody but not really like wanting to know necessarily yes. like yes more as like a greeting like hey how are you and we're like oh and i start going into like this whole saga of like what happened <laughs> that day and someone's looking at me like i actually didn't want to know like, yeah yes <laughs> yes polite, you know stuff like that um so yeah some things were definitely like oh different mm. but on the whole i think there's a lot that was similar to just um especially with a lot of the the friends that i made had like families who immigrated yep so, yeah i think that feeling of sometimes you know being off kilter being um a little on the outside you know having to adjust um a lot of that was was actually very common um, across across a lot of the folks i met so well, that's good i guess you can relate to each other and and speak about it and and then overcome it together which is which is always good so um so so you you so you came over from the philippines and then you you, you went straight into study 
Is that right? Yep. And then, yeah. yeah. And then, so how did that evolve? And I guess from, from studying what, what happened next? Yeah. So I graduated in 2015, um, which feels like forever ago. Yes. Five-year reunion this past May, but that got derailed. Ah, yeah. I actually spent a year working in the U.S. for a bit. Um, Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. I worked at an ed tech company because I I knew I wanted to be in the education space. So ed tech um, was the kind of, for me, the the interesting portion that I had never explored because I, I taught um, for the year of my last year of college and I saw all of my students doing these like special programs to help them prepare for the state exams on these like really fun looking online programs or video game like platforms and yeah. I was like I want to look into that that sounds cool and also if I get to get paid while playing video games that's awesome that's <laughs> a great match yeah um yeah so ed tech was the the first step and I love my time there but obviously um, with U.S. immigration right now, it's a bit tough. So uh, I applied for a work visa after that one year, but I didn't end up getting it. So I actually had to leave um, the U.S. after that, which was really sad, um, but ended up being a, a blessing in disguise because um, the next job that I, I took was um, at this company called, or at this organization called the African Leadership University. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were trying to like break the higher education model basically, and, and, and do something very different from um, the way we traditionally school people, which is like lectures and lots of homework and actually do something more like project-based and real and um, where you're working with companies and trying to help them solve their problems. And um, I found that super fascinating. So I actually ended up moving to Mauritius for two years wow. um, and working and living there, which was the best because it's like an island paradise. You know? Really? I've never, I've never actually been there before. So can I oh, highly learn about it yeah highly recommended anthony like um just whew, beautiful right like I mean, <laughs> people were seeing i remember people were seeing my pictures and being like are you actually working <laughs> like, yes, i am i just happen to also live by the beach so yeah uh, anyway yeah so there's that and then i ended up staying there for two years working for the university and then when the university decided to launch a chapter in nairobi i moved to nairobi kenya for a year after that uh yeah and then i i came to business school so unbelievable so you're working in that education space um and it's that's a it's a real uh, area of interest for myself and um mm. i i don't know if you've ever heard of a gentleman called sir ken robinson yes yeah? that talk is one of the most viewed of all time right it, yeah. it it really does move me um and i really like the fact that he his premise is that the education system was built for the industrial age and we're now in a time where it, we need to change that and, and do something different. Um, and it's so true. Like the, the, the assembly line of education, batching, um, conformity, how, how academic, um, now can only be viewed in certain ways, whether it's the understanding of the the classics or um, there was another one he he used, but just, just that whole, that whole view of it, it was, um, I I agreed with it. What's your take on that? Do you, do you feel that the, 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 the education system of the parcel today is, is, is evolving and do you think it's going to be completely different in, in five, 10 years? Yeah, I'm with you on it. I think I'm on the same train as you and Sir Ken. I 
totally think our current systems are not built for the type of work that we will be doing um, in, in, a, in a short few years. Yeah, not yeah, even. Not even. The distant future. Yeah. I mean, we're actually seeing it now too, right? With COVID. I mean, like people just have to be a lot more agile about picking up new skills, about like using technology. Um, you know, one thing that I remember a professor telling me recently was ironically, and maybe not so ironically, like it's actually during moments like these where companies start investing in automation and um, start like realizing that they might not actually need as much manpower. And so a lot of folks are going to probably, this is really unfortunate to say, but they're going to be let go and already have been like let go, but will continuously not have opportunities to come back into the jobs that they were in before. For instance, like if you were on the manufacturing floor or something like that, um, highly likely, you know, you'll, you'll have to reskill into something else. And if you think about it, your kind of finite schooling experience of like kindergarten to 12th grade, and then um, for some of us, like higher education, you know, it, it, that's what it is. It's finite. And it, it almost gives you this sense that, oh, I don't need to like relearn or like school stopped there. And now I'm like in the working world. But, you know, that's totally not true. We now have to like continuously learn, like iterate um, over and over again, our personal skill sets and, and toolkits. Um, and so I do think that like, we don't have any place for that, right? Like if you're 40 years old, like where, where would you go? Like there's no official schooling system for a 40 year old at least like you know there's online courses and, and all of that now but and I think that's actually where we're heading right which is more like ad hoc modular um like on the go like uh, just in time learning that we're going to be able to to leverage for then moving quickly into something else or pivoting into a different career right so yeah that's definitely where I see us going I agree with you totally. And I think it's not only that we don't have those systems in place because I think they are evolving and they will come, but I think it's the, the not this, is it the stigma? Is that the right way to say it? That if I'm 40, 50, 60, I should know it by now, or, you know, I shouldn't be learning something now it's too late. And I think mm. we need to, to wipe that away. And, and there's nothing wrong with being a beginner in a new field or a new subject. Like it's that understanding that, yeah, you've had a past and you may have been, uh, you know, quite accomplished in that past, but now it's, it's time for something new. Um, cause I think that the, 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 the time is gone where you're, you're at one employer for, you know, 30, 40 years. Uh, so I think that being agile is important and that needs to be reflected in, in the education space because we need to be agile and move along with it. Yeah, hundred percent agree. And what you're saying about that stigma, by the way, um, I agree that it's there and I wish that it wasn't. And I actually think we're going to get to the point, especially with our generation where that will no longer be the case because, you know, even for coders, I was talking to a friend the other day, like even for developers, it's like things, you know, come so quickly, new languages are made um, yeah. like every, every few months. So it's kind of like what you learned in school, even though it's a technical skill set and it's a pretty good one to have, like it won't necessarily carry over. Right. So all of us are going to have to continuously like go back to the drawing board and we just need to get more comfortable at that. Um, it sounds a bit hard. I, I agree. Like it sounds hard because it's kind of like, man, I was done with that. Like I went to school yeah. for like, 16 plus years, you know, it's, it's too much, but you know, I actually think if you put the lens on it of like, you're, you're picking up stuff so that you can do something. It's like, yeah, with, with that end goal of actually being productive or starting something or, or helping something grow or, or become better, then you have even a better motivation, I guess, in some ways to learn. Whereas in school, we used to just like sit in class, 
for the sake of sitting in class and because our parents told us to and you know it's kind of required of us but now it's like learning for an end goal which is actually great I would yeah. say yeah. And then that actually segues in perfectly to, to, I guess, the discussion I'd like to, to bring up with you today. And I'm understanding that you are obviously doing an MBA at, at Harvard Business School. Uh, so I guess from, from your uh, personal lens, uh, why are you doing it? Ah, oh, million dollar question. Well, I guess <laughs> in this case, $200,000. 200, <laughs> uh, so I would say the quick and dirty answer to that is I want to learn how to scale social enterprises um, in a way that continuously puts impact at the center, but also allows the venture or organization or whatever that program is to be self-sustaining. Um, and the reason I, I kind of had that lens coming in was um, in the education space, especially, which is the one that I, I think I want to continuously be a part of and, and contribute to you know, there's often like a dirty feel to money, if that yeah. makes sense. Like, oh, yeah. you shouldn't be profiting off of this because education is a universal right and, and students should have access to it. A hundred percent agree. Um, but I also think it, it not necessarily does, means that we're, we have to be divorced from thinking about the financial side of it, right? Because at the end of the day, there will need to be some sort of um, financial viability and sustainability for something to keep going and keep growing and reach more people. In fact, like, access is, is directly correlated with and, and connected to being able to have the capital to, to push it forward and, and to reach more people, right? So um, at first, kind of like a typical educator, I didn't want to think about that because, you know, as a, as a teacher, you're kind of mostly thinking about the students um, and, and how to best serve them and how to best like help them on their, their learning journey. But as I got deeper and deeper into the field, I realized that actually not enough people are thinking about the business side of it. Mm -hmm. um, and not a lot of people merge the two skill sets. So you often have like educators who are purely educators who have studied like pedagogy and theory um, and like, who care about like student centeredness. And then like this other side of people who are like the McKinsey guys who come in and start an education venture <laughs> and care more about the, the business side. And very rarely do people actually like converge those two things. And so I was like, well, you know, I could go to education school, which I wanted to, because I absolutely love learning about these things and, and reading up about the, the coolest new like learning technologies and innovations and, and all of that. But I was like, no, I should, I should go do an MBA because I actually think that that's something that is not done enough um, from an education standpoint. And also one that I probably wouldn't do on my own anyway, if that makes sense. Like yeah. you're, you're, you would have to, like I would have to have a lot of motivation to sit down and actually look through like a balance sheet or an income statement like by myself. Yes. But um, I wouldn't need to someone to force me to do that to like pick up like one of the Paul Tuff books and read about how kids learn, right? Like, yeah. So yeah, so it was a bit of both, like a, a mix of like what is that mission, and then also a bit of like what do I personally know I need right now <laughs> as like part of my learning skill set and my toolkit. Yeah. And I think that's the, the great thing about it. I mean, you, you're really self-aware to know that, you know, you wanted to learn a set of skills, but felt that it would be best if you went through, uh, you know, the school to do that. And, and, and it's, it's aligning with you utilizing those skills for, for a purpose that you have in mind, which is, which is fantastic. And I think that that's, you know, you, you spoke about the, the, the money aspect side of it, and maybe it's the business side of it as well versus education, but business can ultimately help 
and like just reiterating what you said, it's you know being able to scale, um, bring in funds that are at the end going to help those students reach those students, so that you know the cycle um, cycle closes out. Because at the end of the day, you know it's um, you see there's people out there that don't have the education, uh, and then sometimes they resort to things such as violence, crime. So it's it's about educating those those students uh, at an early age but maybe even um, middle age as well to to develop and grow so that they can see possibilities in their lives because it's it's hard when you don't uh, and and that's that's the downside to it oh totally yeah and actually that reminds me anthony just reminded me of like this quote that they used to like put well i think it's still there on top of the like education schools um, yeah. main forum um, education is the great equalizer. Um, Horace I Mann. like that. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. I think I just return to that a lot, right? The fact that you can take away someone's like physical assets. Um, you can take away someone's money for sure. Um, but you can't really take away someone's education, right? Like once you've given them that, then you've, you've given them like an asset for life and um, they can continuously reap benefits from it and actually just build it further. Um, you can never move backwards in terms of your education. You can only move forward. So, yeah. Correct. I, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. How do you feel like obviously the course itself uh, at, at uh, HBS is, 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 big but in terms of specific subjects are there ones that you've maybe already completed or things that you're looking forward to uh in the course yeah so the first year is a required curriculum they actually call it the rc year so um we took five classes in the fall five in the spring um, and so like all of us uh, first years went through the exact same thing. So um, there's a ton that we've already finished, like primarily um, two finance classes, a strategy class, a market class, and a technology operations class, an entrepreneurship class. Um, I could go on. There's also like a next <laughs> class, which I really liked. Um, but yeah, I think my favorite class of all was this class called LEAD, um, Leadership and, and Organizational Behavior. Um, okay. and, yeah, and it was essentially a class where the cases that we did, because HBS is all case method, um, the cases that we did would be about a protagonist, um, both like CEO, mid-level manager, even entry level, kind of across the spectrum, who was having to deal with like a tough like leadership challenge or, or question. So one of the ones that was most powerful, for instance, I remember was the CEO of a mining company in South Africa who um, had some fatalities at one of the mines and had to make a decision whether or not to close down the mines or keep them open. And obviously there's like a financial aspect to that, right? But yeah. then there's a whole other aspect too of like, well, you want to keep people safe. Um, you want to also get to the bottom of the dynamics of what's happening on the ground. And, and how do you do that when there's obviously um, still considerations or danger, dangerous situations that you have to put yourself through? Um, which, yeah, and I found that conversation so powerful, right? Because also set with the backdrop of like South Africa, um, which continues to still feel like some after effects of like apartheid and you know, as you dug deeper into the case, you realize that like most of the, the miners are actually like black South Africans, but most of the executive suite and, and middle level management are um, white South Africans. And so kind of that layer mixed into that whole process of deciding what to do is, is, is just, it's crazy. It's so hard, right? And 
that class was awesome because it was a good chance to hear people's thoughts and um, really grapple with some of these hard situations before being in them yourself, um, which is quite a luxury, I guess, to not have to be in it yourself, but good learning, good learning opportunity. Yeah, I can imagine. And it's, uh, I guess, the value in doing something like that uh, in a group is that you hear those different perspectives and what, what all these different people are thinking. You may have not have thought of what you know that person said or what that person said, and which leads into further discussion and really opens it up. Uh, and, and then you see how challenging it can be to ultimately come to a decision. So we see these these senior executives, uh, you know, and they may come to the decision, and then people that are n- naively outside of that, you know. Uh, decision uh group or or team think to themselves oh but why did they make that decision and we've Mm -hmm. got to think to ourselves these people are rolling through all these different scenarios they're taking in all of this information and at the end of the day they've got to make a solution that is best case um whether whether some make it in their best interest whether some make it in the interest of the public (laughs) that's a different question but um there's just a lot there's a lot in it yeah, actually, and, you know, it's easy to be critical when you're on the outside, but once you're actually there in, like, the driver's seat, right, you know, there's so much you have to consider. So, yeah, I think it's easy to be a critic. Uh, it is. Much it is. And yeah. uh, that's why I'm, I'm trying to keep my, uh, my mouth pretty quiet in, uh, in terms of this whole COVID situation, especially as well. Mm. Um, uh, in Melbourne here, we are in a, a stage four lockdown, which is pretty much... Um, you know, essential, essential work is happening, but pretty much everyone else stay home, stay within five kilometers of your, your home. Um, and, and mm-hmm. in terms of activity as well. So, but there are, there are a lot of people that are on one side on another that are, you know, putting their opinions forward. Social media has helped us individually have a voice, uh, whether that's in a good thing, uh, um, is, is, is a, is, a is, is for another day, but, um, but uh, yeah, like, like you said, it's easy to be a critic, that's for sure. Now, Michelle also writes uh, on medium.com. So that's actually how we came to connect. I, I came across one of her articles and really loved what it was about. And uh, yeah, just shot her an email. So I'll be sure to uh, list how you can find that uh, those articles and, and her profile on medium.com at the end of this podcast. Yeah, definitely. I guess we're in the same state, by the way, because we also aren't allowed to move around unless you're going to a grocery. Um, yeah. So we're... Yeah, and we came back from that too because we opened up and then we scaled it back. Exactly, exactly the same. And I think what else can you really do until a vaccine comes out? I mean, are you going to sacrifice your economy for for it, or you are you going to find find a balance between the two? And it's and that's what we've just spoken about speaks to that decision. Um, Yeah, uh, no, for sure. I I would definitely. I'm not envious at all about what, what our government officials have to do right now. No, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. So how, how many cases uh, are you seeing uh, per day over there? The highest spike or the spike last week was about like 10,000. Um, oh, wow. Quite yeah. high, yeah, which is yeah. why they scaled it back. Um, you yeah. know, it's, it's nowhere as high as the U.S., unfortunately. Um, yeah, yeah. That's actually, I heard, out of control. But um, yeah, I, I think it's necessary now to like go back to the lockdown, I would say. We're probably going to see a lot of those ebbs and flows for a while of like, opening up again, closing down again, opening up again, closing down again, um, which is fine. I think it's just coping at this point. So. Yeah, it is. It is it. It is it. 
So I guess with, with, uh, we spoke a little bit about obviously you, uh, th- through the NBA and obviously what you, you aim to achieve with it. Um, currently now, are you, are you working at the moment, uh, or are you, are you studying full time? How does that look? Yeah, I'm in summer. Um, so I'm <laughs> taking the summer, but, um, I'm actually doing an internship right now. So I'm, I'm, trying out something super different from anything I've ever done. So I'm doing management consulting at the company this summer. Um, And, you know, learning a lot, just, it's so different. I've actually never been in like a truly corporate setting. So this is the first time when I'm, I'm experiencing corporate America. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's been, that's been cool. It's just a, a different perspective. And I think I'm starting to see a little bit more now about how it all like, meshes together uh, i just have to i have to now work for government i've never worked for government so yeah yeah so and and all, all virtually at the moment i assume for you as well yeah 100 yeah. percent. yeah yeah uh, are you also doing everything virtual I'm you are. um yeah most of it now has to be and um it's just it, it like i said we're very fortunate I, I i try to see the good in things and the you know have a, have a good perspective on it and it's you know we're fortunate that we've got this technology in place and you know because if this happened a hundred years ago um, you know which it did you know i guess in terms of the the, the spanish flu which gets talked about a lot um yeah it'd be very very difficult to do anything so yeah yeah, yeah. A lot of these like work from home um, norms and and kind of tricks, tips and tricks yeah. are coming handy. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely not the same though. I still like being able to whiteboard with someone and brainstorm. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's uh, hard. I'm, uh, I see myself as a people person, so I really get, I get energy from people and, you know, you can't really get that uh, virtually, at least I haven't experienced that um, yet, but, you know, being in a room with somebody, multiple people is, is, is something that I don't think we are going to sacrifice even post COVID. So it's, things might change and it'd be interesting to see how, how it does. How, what do you think? Well, what's your, what's your thoughts? Do you think uh, the world is going to change dramatically after, after COVID? I think so. I think this was in many ways like the push that a lot of like industries needed to, yeah. to innovate and, and paradigm shift um, in terms of both like a mental kind of state, but also just like operationally, right? Like um, this is a, a very superficial example, but like, you know, my mother who you could not find like on Zoom ever before this entire thing now knows how to like share her screen and annotate things. On Zoom. <laughs> um, that's an indication that um, we know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know that 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 behavior change is happening. So um, I also think that it's it's just cheaper for companies, right? So yep. I I think that they'll probably start realizing that this is a leaner model to work with on the cost side. So they might actually start to like pivot into maybe a fifty fifty workforce, like fifty work from home, fifty in person, and then maybe like rotate people as well. Um, I think there's ways to do it actually to preserve some of these elements. Um, and kind of give people some like mental space to just be at home as well. And also then still having the in-person work. Um, yeah, I can see so many different models popping up actually. Pretty excited about that. I'm going to see how it goes. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. Change always brings with it opportunity. So it's going to be exciting to see how that evolves and, and where the opportunities do lie. Um, but yeah, definitely to speak to that, I think that, you know, you're going to look at, businesses now they're going to be saying especially with commercial real estate why do i need all this space and you know that that i'm paying for at a premium um so it'd be very interesting to see how that evolves over the the coming years but um, right right. do you think that um any one particular industry would will be drastically changed by this um i've been thinking about that a lot i guess in terms of perhaps like i guess healthcare 
first and foremost, but then any any other like industry or sector you think might really shift? Well, I had uh, a bit of a hypothesis a couple of years ago and it was that I believed that the way that technology was progressing, that there would become, there would come a moment in time where something would happen. There's no way I could have predicted a virus like this, but something yeah. would happen in where we would be encouraged to stay at home. Now, what that is going to do is change the amount that we rely on technology. So there could be things such as, we're already seeing it. Um, like I even saw on um, the application Snapchat that you can actually try on sh- shoes virtually, mm. virtually. Like you can actually get your foot and shine your phone and actually see the shoe on your foot. So I really think that that's going to continue to evolve. I think that tech companies uh, will, will will take the front on that and work with retailers to provide the the, the a convenient um, offer to the client where they don't really have to leave their home because maybe it's, maybe it's not safe. Maybe the virus, uh, there are so many different things, but I really see, I really see the home being the place for everything. And I think businesses such as Amazon, Apple, they're going to capitalize on that. Um, Yeah. So I think that's, that's where I see it. Yeah. Um, when you mentioned that Snapchat app, which I actually haven't seen, so I'll definitely try it out. Um, yep. I remember um, looking at this like video promotion for like, Ikea and how they have this new, like, is it, uh, is augmented reality? I think that would be right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So you can like shine your phone on an empty spot of your house and visualize a, a piece of furniture. Um, and mm. I found that so cool. Cause then mm. before, even buying something because normally even at the store, right? Like you'll have to like think about, okay, what was the color of that room and how can mm. I actually make this couch fit there? But now you can literally just like beam it into your living room and, and see how it looks like against your other cushions and all that stuff. So um, yeah, I find that super, super awesome and fascinating um, and totally agree with you on like the, the retailer point for sure. Um, and, and kind of like last mile delivery, I guess, becoming more important, you know, like kind of, getting people um, the stuff that they need at their doorstep and, and how, yeah, the capital. I'm going to, I'm going to hold you to that. Oh, wait. Oh, there was a book that I had. I'm just looking to see if I can find it. Um, I don't think it's here, but it was actually a HBR um, book. And I think it was called predictive machines, predictive machines. That was it. Um, And the, the one concept I'm, I'm about halfway through it now, but one concept that I picked up was the fact that we live in a, now don't quote me on this in a, a shop then ship model where, mm-hmm. where people will purchase things, whether it's online. Uh, well, yeah, in this case online, and then that will get shipped to their door. Mm-hmm. Amazon right now is building up its data set uh, to a, to an extent that's going to make it really accurate to predict what you need before you need it. So weekly, they'll do their runs. They'll send you the, for instance, grocery products that you need uh, and get such a high level of accuracy that you may return things and they'll have like another run to pick up the things that you return, but it's going to be so profitable for them. Because like, for instance, I may go to where where I live, there's a, a big shopping center and I may go do some grocery shopping there. But then as I'm driving home, I'll be like, oh no, I forgot that, that 
that carton of milk. So I'll go to a small milk bar that may have that and, and it can help me with that. But, yeah. but essentially what Amazon is going to be doing is completely stopping that and, and pretty much changing the way we shop. Oh man, that sounds, yeah, that would be so cool. I'm even now thinking, you're making me think about like a smart fridge, which I'm sure like someone's already building yeah. up there. Yeah, yeah. With, I can tell you, okay, you're running low on milk and it'll send you a message like right before you get home or something that you can like, pass, or not even pass by, like someone could just be at it, your door. It, be, it, it will be there. It will be yeah. there. It's just yeah. that convenience of it. And I think as technology evolves, we're already seeing it. We want to do more. It's not like the efficiencies that technology has provided us has made our work stay the same or reduce. We're just adding more on top of that. We're just adding more and more. So when we look at convenience and trying to make give time back to, to consumers, we are going to see things like the fridge where we may not even have to do anything. It's just there. The only thing we're going to need is the robot to physically get it from the front door and take it to the fridge and put it inside. That's the next step. But, um, right, right. And I hope that we can actually just do that ourselves. Yeah. That's so true. It's I exciting. So exciting. Yeah. Um, I actually think that at some point, right, we'll probably end up not needing to to mentally retain much because right now, like a grocery list, like, you know, I put it on my phone, but I remember back in the earlier days, um, we would just like remember it off the top of our heads or like have like a physical paper or whatever. But now I think our phones are going to be smarter than us and actually just like tell us, oh, by the way, this is probably what you'll need. And you didn't think of it, of this, but I remember that last month you needed it during this like particular night when you had your friends over and blah, blah, Correct. <laughs> telling you all those things. Correct. Kind of scary though, but. It is what it is. And it's, 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 it all comes down to data. Data is the new oil. Uh, it's, it's, it's the bread and butter of all of these things. And it's right. going to be very, very interesting. Um, but what you just spoke to me about that then, um, it, it leads me on to, to another one. It's, uh, have you heard of Neuralink? No. So Elon Musk is creating um, essentially a piece of hardware, which is a hair-like um, thickness of a thickness of a hair that gets implanted into the brain and provides you the connectivity between you and the internet of things. <gasps> what? Yeah. Just <laughs> black mirror stuff though yeah it is, it is. I, I think i don't know who I, what i was watching but someone spoke to that it's like black mirror is like we don't even know what to do anymore because it's all coming like it, like it's the outlandish things that we are doing are actually coming true so um oh man Ooh. yeah yeah uh, so that's something else i'll have to I'll, I'll send that across to you but um yeah he, he spoke to that and uh it's it's gonna be fascinating because the only thing the thing that he said was that the technology itself um, is not revolutionary for the times, but it's the fact that we've got the bandwidth now to do that. And 5G is going to allow us to do that and actually you know, get it to a point where it's, it's, it's worth doing. Yeah. It blows my mind that we're on the cusp of things like that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, this is going to be a really superficial pivot, but um, have you, I, I just watched this TV show recently. Have you yeah. seen Upload? It's on Amazon Prime. No, uh, upload. No, I'm going to write it down. What, what is it? So I, I came across it because I'm a really big fan of The Good Place. That was like, that's my favorite show of all time. I, I actually, I actually I, we watched a snippet of that in my ethics class. Oh, re- oh right. <laughs> guy who's obsessed with, with ethics in it. Um, yeah. But yeah, someone recommended Upload to me because it has a similar um, 
concept where it's like about the afterlife. And so the, the concept is that when you die, your consciousness gets uploaded into the cloud or whatever is their equivalent of the cloud. And you get to live forever, essentially, in this like mystical, um, like in, in this case, like luxurious mansion type, you know, area and, and grounds. And um, the technology in that show, like I was like, oh, this is, we're way beyond this. But now, as you mentioned, like Neuralink and all of these, these evolving technologies, I'm like, maybe we're actually not too far from understanding how to like, prolong life but not in the biological physiological sense but in like the the consciousness sense um though though to be honest like i still have to figure out what even the consciousness is so <laughs> that's like a whole nother that's another philosophical question but um that would be fascinating right yeah. like yeah um, and it's just there's it's all there's almost too much to, 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 to hear, to know about it. It's all too fascinating that you, your mind kind of just, I guess, explodes with it all, but you just want to, I try to take it in bite sizes, uh, digest it, uh, understand what it actually means and then move on to the next topic or the next thing I'm learning about. But, um, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, there's yeah. a lot of info to manage right now. <laughs> correct, correct. Yeah. Especially, especially now with the media as well. It's something that I'm, I'm trying to avoid, like making a conscious effort to avoid, um, just because of the, obviously the, the negativity that it's bringing as well, and and rightly, I guess, rightly so, um, because obviously what is going on in the world is, is a negative, um, and, and that's fair. But as an individual, that you want to stay productive and you want to, I guess, maintain uh, your, your mental health as well. I think it's important to to just be conscious of it. Yeah, I agree. Um, there was a time in, in definitely in like April, maybe late April, where the news was getting a bit too much, I think, around the pandemic. Um, and then in, in the recent weeks, too, right, with like the Black Lives Matter movement kind of um, going to a crescendo in the U.S. as well. I, I think a lot of that was, was really hard to read about. Um, and, and it did get overwhelming at some point that I actually stopped going on Instagram and I stopped like yeah. even been reading the newsletters which which is it, it's kind of weird right because we we prize being up to date and and having all the information at our, our fingertips and it, you know i never want to be ignorant but at that point it was definitely too much like mentally so there had to be a break to take from that but i'm totally with you um mm, that sometimes mm. you just need to shut down and sometimes you just need like to go analog a bit and and mm, separate from, mm. from all the, the sources of info yeah, correct. And that's why sometimes it's good to, I think it's it's why it's good, not just in those times, but just any time really is to be selective on the content that you're taking in and ensuring that it's from a good source and that it's, it's yeah, there's not uh, flashing lights on uh, all around it to, to try to get you to, to focus on that. So, right. yeah. Not clickbait, not clickbait. Exactly. And there's so much of that going around. Oh my God. So, um it's uh, it's it is an interesting one, I guess. Just to pivot back to to so obviously the MBA, and I think a question that that I had for you that I was really interested to to know about was you, you in your article, um, fifteen lessons from my first year at Harvard Business School. You spoke about the concept of the student passport, um, and I just wanted to know a little bit more about that, and I guess how you've utilized that you, yourself. Yeah, I look at it as very much like a. Um, a way to to talk to people who I think would otherwise be um, a little bit less likely to talk to you and, and to open opportunities that um, 
normally like you're much more comfortable giving to a student for some reason because like oh like you're in a learning mode and everyone is sympathetic to that and knows what it was like to to kind of be in that period of still discovering and deciding and um yeah and i think a lot of people really latch on to that so i mean the way that i use it is is i just really introduce myself as like um, I'm a student, you know, incoming second year, and I'm currently exploring X, and I saw that you have experience in X, and I just want to tap your brain about it. And oftentimes, I mean, the hit rate is pretty good, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say like around 80%, um, which is actually quite high compared to like in another time, because, you know, back when I was working, I think it would be a bit of a different story, right? It would kind of be like, it would be hard to say like, I'm exploring this, Um or, you know, some people might look at your company and be like, are they trying to mine information? Yes. Trying yes. To like, you know, pick up stuff on their competitor, you know, stuff like that. So I think that's how, that's how I've been using it. And so um, an example was like last year, I was interested in impact investing back to the theme on like how capital kind of moves in the education space. And um, especially both on like the um, organizational funding side, like for like VC, but also for uh, individual student financing. And so this past year, I, I kind of like dug deep into a lot of that and so sent a lot of cold emails, but um, really was able to like talk to some folks who are doing amazing work at some of the companies that I really admire. And so, you know, it, it wasn't even for any purpose other than just like to hear from someone on the inside, which is just very different from reading on a website or, or picking up an article or something like that. Um, and that color and, and the richness and 360 nature of, of that conversation, like really just helps. It helps a lot. Um, yeah. So that's one way I've used it. And then the second way is like um, to like work on, on kind of side projects, you know, kind of, not not for pay actually more just like for experience um i also actually wrote in the article about doing things to like add to your portfolio not necessarily for pay but more just to to pick up um that learning and, and to have that as like a notch on your belt for later on so yep. um like this coming fall i i'm doing an independent project with um a former an alumni who, who um works at the employment technology fund which is this um fund out of jobs for the future uh, which focuses on like future work and workforce development which is like, exactly kind of my area of passion yeah um, and, and yeah that one is just like literally an independent project so um that those opportunities have only really come up because of that student passport if that makes sense just because yeah. they're like oh, yeah you're a student you have time and um you know like in some ways like you're learning stuff that could then easily translate and be applicable into into this role and into this project so um yeah for some reason the barrier is lower for people when it's when it's a student to, to offer an opportunity um, yeah. i don't know if you've probably experienced a lot of that as well actually yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, it's, I agree to what you said. People are just warm to the fact that you're a student and you're learning and it's, uh, it's, it's really hard to reject somebody that's just trying to learn something. I believe anyway, what kind of person do you look if you're someone that's rejecting that person? Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah there, there is something that, that definitely helps. And I think it's important to be aware of that, especially when you are a student, because it's that time, you're not a student for, for you can be a lifelong learner, but in terms of work, being in an institution where you're studying, you, you only have a finite time there and you want to be able to capitalize on that and utilize it to the best of your ability. So it was some great insight from you. Thank you for that to, to, to learn how you, I guess, utilizing that uh, for yourself. Of course. Yeah. Um, you you know, feel very grateful, I, I guess, like around people being willing to talk. And so uh, yep. maybe because someone talked to them when they were exploring and, and they want to. That's what I hope. 
I hope that it's that uh, it, it just it flows around. You know that that yeah. the good in people, I guess, goes around because everybody was, uh, I guess, a novice in in their particular field of interest at one point or another. So, okay. I think it, we we help each other to to grow and develop. And um, I think it's, it's to the flip side of that. I think what's really important and something that I, I try to stay really aware of is if you educate yourself on an, on a matter on a problem and you see it from every angle possible. You you just have the best knowledge for it. That's an advantage, but it can also be a disadvantage as well because you can have somebody that's completely new to that problem or that, 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 that space that can provide such a fresh perspective to that. And, you know, I see that time and time again. Um, I see the cross pollination of industries to, to bring someone in that's, totally different and apply the the learnings that they've had in their space to something else. So it works. It, I definitely think it works in both ways. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I like the way you put that. What goes around comes around in a good way and, and good karma kind of passes on. And yeah, I love that. Um, and it actually, it gives me a lot of hope for like, just like learning and, and, and students kind of like trying to pick up new stuff. And, um, of course, you know, realize a lot of this is a privilege too, like having people to like talk to and ask, but I'm hoping that that democratizes at some point, right. The collective knowledge that sits with like community and, um, people across, across the board too. So yeah, no, I love that. I love the way you phrased that. Well, look, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day uh, to, to speak with me. I, it, was, it was great to, I guess, have a conversation, especially during these times. And, you know, obviously the fact that we're, we're, we're not in the same place and, and doing it over, over, over Zoom is, has made it easier for us. But um, yeah, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Of course, it was so great. Um, and, and thank you for reaching out. I think it's so awesome to be able to connect with folks um, at, at this time. Yeah, it kind of, it does break down the barriers and the boundaries. So that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, appreciate it. And anytime, anytime to have another conversation. Thank you for tuning in to uh, another episode of The Passion Agenda. I know this is a conversation that you would have enjoyed. Michelle uh, was fantastic to, to come on and... and uh, spread some uh, of her of her background uh to us and and uh just learn a little bit more as well and you know like i said at the beginning of the of the podcast uh she definitely spoke about how she she aims to utilize uh, her mba uh going forward now michelle writes some articles on uh, medium uh a platform that uh, allows for, for that to be a possibility uh so i'm gonna make sure to to, to link that in the show notes uh if you're interested in Michelle and uh, what she spoke about today and obviously just, I guess, her journey through 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 her course at uh, Harvard Business School, then be sure to follow her on Medium and uh, you know, wait for, for that great content. I know I've definitely read a couple articles and it's actually how I, I came connected to her. So I'm going to really enjoy uh, seeing her progress and uh, see what she has planned for the future. As always, please like, uh, share, uh, leave a review for this podcast. Let us know who you think we should interview next, and uh, I appreciate it more than ever. If you want to drop me a, drop me an email or, or anything like that, uh, just say to just to say hey. If that uh, my email is Anthony at thepassionagenda.com.au. But until next time, goodbye. <laughs>